All right, Christy, it's time for everyone's favorite segment of Chris's on Infinite Earths. Oh, no. That's right. It's time for Is This Scientifically Accurate? It's comics. Of course it isn't. Anyway, today we're going to be covering DC The New Frontier, and I have a bone to pick with Dinosaur Island. Okay. While the idea of a tropical island covered in dinosaurs is appealing, the atmosphere of the Cretaceous was much higher in oxygen levels, roughly 35% oxygen compared to today's 21%. Oh, wait, are you being interesting? Yeah, Tyrannosaurus Rex would be having a terrible case of altitude sickness just from existing. Wait, really? Oh my gosh, you didn't ruin the comic at all. That was just a fun fact. Honestly, dear, I thought you were going to be a pedantic nerd about it. Oh, I'm not finished. Uh, Oh, okay. Uh, What other fun fact do you have? Even though the island is called Dinosaur Island, it contained pterosaurs who weren't actually dinosaurs at all. Sure, but so did Jurassic Park. Also, the Tyrannosaurus Rex looked a little mm, robust, a bit too big for the likely anatomy. This feels a bit more nitpicky. Plus, it didn't even have feathers. Okay, but lots of people do that. Seems a bit harsh. All right, well, all done with the Dinosaur Island science stuff, Christy. (laughs) Okay, are we ready? Now we need to talk about the inaccuracies of modern-day Mars being able to support complex life. Uh, Nah, I I think our readers already know all about that. They do? We have a very well-read readership, sweetheart. Oh, well, I I suppose you're right. Let's talk about comics. Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first episode covering New Frontier. And this will be our first of... Three. Three? Three. I was about to say two, and I was like, no, no, no. These were big. It's going to be more than that. It is going to be three. I was wondering if we could do it in two, and then I uh, was like, mm. Because... Mm. Yeah, then I just started singing. <laughs> I wondered about it, started singing Immigrant Song, and then forgot what I was doing. So we just read two. But these are, these are, are, they, are were these single size issues? They were real big. They were in the 60s of pages. So that triple. is triple sized issues. You know, triples are safe. Triples are safe. <laughs> safest. If you really want to be safest. <laughs> I'm going to stop buying comics that are just singles because it's really, it's true that triples. This is maybe like the best reference I think you've ever made on this podcast. Wow. I think it was good. It was was timely. Okay. Okay. That just came out this year. That's true. A lot of times my references, even though I deeply cherish them, they are not necessarily relevant or part of the current lexicon of culture. I'm frankly, I'm astonished. It's wonderful. Uh, this was a Patreon requested episode, requested by uh, Matthew Boda. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. So Matthew gets three. Well, uh, I don't. I don't think that Matthew did this on purpose, but he got the loophole of the triple size issues. Oh, oh, because we're like, well, you can pick an event that's only this many issues, and the yeah, issues. I say were twelve ri- issues. Right. These are roughly like the size of eighteen normal issues, but it's oh, really only my six gosh. issues. Matthew, you hit the jackpot. He did. Good job. 
Again, I do not think Matthew did that on purpose. And we maybe could have covered this in two. I just didn't maybe. want to stress us out. I, mean, I And I love that for us. <laughs> I love that. Why stress us out? I don't want a stressed pod. You know what they, the, you know, I heard stressed pod, like the, 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 the chemicals leach into the podcast. And when people listen to it, they get stressed. Uh, that's really incredibly true. So just, you know, it's like you really want happy podcasters. People don't actually listen to us for the comics content. They just <laughs> listen even, to us for, for the general good vibes. <laughs> I like that we can finally admit over 100 episodes in that the actual comic side of our podcast is like set dressing at best, you know? You guys are here purely for good vibes and a parasocial relationship. Uh, and plus, oh, no, we can't say swears. I was going to make a, I was gonna make a uh, relationship pun, but we can't say swears. I was going to say if we, if we rushed ourselves and had bad vibes, it would be a relation. Oh. Yeah. Oh, ah. with a naughty word. I'm not gonna say it though. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe Speaking now of other just... things you did a good job at. We'll see. Let's get into the summary. DC The New Frontier, written and drawn by Darwin Cook, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Jared K. Fletcher, and edited by Mark Chiarello and Valerie D'Arazio. Issue 1. Johnny Cloud of the squad known as The Losers writes about the last mission of The Losers on a cave wall, accompanied by his faithful dog, Pooch. The losers following the close of World War II had been tasked with searching for a downed OSS group led by one Colonel Flagg, who were likewise tasked with escorting an Axis scientist who had important information. The losers arrive on a remote island where they are somewhat promptly attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which they fight off, but not without the loss of one of their members, Gunner McKay. They make camp in a cave that looks like the OSS group's abandoned base, but Cloud and the group's captain, Storm, awake the next morning to explosions, finding one of their members, Sarge, is missing. They go to investigate, but are suddenly beset by pterodactyls, one of which carries off Captain Storm. Cloud returns to the temporary base to find Colonel Flagg, the man he's been looking for, along with Pooch. Flagg explains that the OSS group is dead other than him, but that he has an important microfilm with information. The duo and their dog prepare to leave via raft to a nearby stowed plane, but Cloud tells Flagg to go on without him as he wants to avenge his team. The next morning, Cloud and Pooch are on the hunt for the T-Rex when they accidentally stumble into one of Flagg's booby traps, which injures Cloud and kills Pooch. Soon, the T-Rex looms, and in a final sacrificial moment, Johnny Cloud rips two grenades and leaps into the dinosaur's mouth. Three years later, a young boy sneaks into Edwards Air Force Base to speak with ace pilot Chuck Yeager. Chuck notices the boy has on an airman's jacket that used to belong to his late friend Martin. The boy asks Chuck to autograph his model plane, saying his name is Hal Jordan. It's 1952, and in Gotham City, the vigilante known as Our Man falls to his death after a chase with police. 
We learn that the House Un-Americans Activity Committee also went after superheroes, causing the JSA to disband, and Superman and Wonder Woman take oaths of loyalty to the U.S. Superman was tasked with rounding up rogue heroes, but lost in a fight to Batman after Batman hit him with a strange substance. We also learn that Task Force X was created as a government super team, but also that even though our man was a vigilante, many called him a hero. In 1953, Hal Jordan flies over Korea after the war is over. However, he is still attacked by enemy MiGs and has to eject, but is knocked out in the process. His wingman, Kyle Morgan, ejects and pulls Hal's ripcord for him, and Hal regains consciousness just in time to knock out a North Korean soldier as he lands. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, who'd been war correspondents, are picked up by a helicopter before it receives instructions to grab Hal. Hal sees the helicopter and signals with a smoke grenade, but is attacked by the now-conscious enemy soldier. As Hal tries to remember Korean while wrestling with the soldier, he is forced to use his sidearm to kill the man. Jimmy and the helicopter pilot grab Hal, but the pilot is clearly shaken by what he had to do. Issue 2. In 1955 in Gotham City, the scientist Dr. Erdell has a heart attack in shock after accidentally transporting John Jones, a Martian, from his home planet to Earth. Oops. In Indochina, Superman and Wonder Woman are on a humanitarian mission during the conflict there. Superman finds Wonder Woman with a group of women who have killed men who were keeping them under servitude. Wonder Woman freed them while on a mission looking for a downed American plane and allowed them to brutally murder their captors. Superman is horrified by this and says he'll report her, but Wonder Woman just laughs at him. John learns all about society through television, shape-shifting into various forms. In Central City in 1956, the police headquarters is hit by lightning, injuring Barry Allen and, you know, making him fast. John, now disguised as Detective John Jones, and his partner Slam Bradley investigate a kidnapping of a child by a cult called The Center. They find their hideout in a church only to discover Batman already fighting with the cultists. Batman rescues the boy but terrifies him while John is incapacitated by an accidental fire, his only weakness. Luckily, his identity isn't given away and Slam grabs the boy. John finds a locked book belonging to the cult, and the cult leader tells them they'll all be judged by the center. Lois Lane, Bruce Wayne, Oliver Queen, Dinah Lance, Hal Jordan, and Kyle Morgan all watch the boxing champ Ted Grant, a little past his prime, defeat the young Cassius Clay in a boxing match in Las Vegas. After the match, they chat about the JSA, who had been there but ducked out early to avoid attracting a crowd. Lois thinks they're bad Americans, and Bruce razzes her a little before Carol Ferris and Rick Flagg join the group. They're all greeted by the champ himself, who gets a kiss from his fiancée, Selena Kyle. Back in Central City, a relaxing Barry Allen receives a call from his girlfriend, Iris West, who is covering the big fight. Before much can be said, Captain Cold busts into the gala, freezing Iris's hand when he realizes she's on the phone. Knowing something is wrong, Barry races there as the Flash. The Flash arrives quickly as Captain Cold's henchmen grab valuables 
and the Scarlet Speedster nearly defeats Cold before the villain reveals that there are six bombs throughout the city that require his attention. Barry races through Las Vegas, easily finding five bombs before he realizes that the sixth bomb was a ruse. He zips back in time to catch Captain Cold with the villain's gun malfunctioning and freezing him in ice. Later, Morgan and Hal drive to Nellis Air Force Base where Morgan wants to show Hal a new prototype. Kyle asks Hal about how he seemed different recently, fearless as it were, and Morgan wants to know if Hal feels guilty for the things he did during war. Hal turns the question back on Kyle, with Kyle saying any enemy combatant was trying to do just as he did. Before Ace boards his flight, he tells Hal he had meant to introduce him to Carol Ferris after the fight, and Hal gets excited because his dad used to fly for Ferris aircraft. Hal hopes to fly for them too and bids Ace a good flight. All right, Christy, what are your th- what what did you think of this first chunk of DC colon the new frontier? I wasn't really expecting or going into reading this uh, with much knowledge of what it was about when it when we started. I am sure at one point you gave me a brief overview or rundown or something. I don't actually know if I did this time. Okay, good. That makes me feel better because normally I'm just like really forgetful that way. But I started reading it and I was like, what? (laughs) What? What is this? Why are these men fighting dinosaurs? <laughs> where where is okay the the losers? This this seems familiar. Are the losers the losers are supposed to be familiar to me, right? We've read other a little. They are they're like a they, they're war comics. Right. I feel like we got a little bit of them. I think a little bit in crisis. Yes. Mm. That's that's where they're familiar to me. That's not where the Haunted Tank. Was. That is not where the Haunted Tank That's came from. That's different. The Haunted Tank is, is a, as far as I'm aware, in general, less well-known and less popular than, like, The Losers. Um, I feel like that's a mistake. <laughs> haunted Tank sounds great. Yeah, but the Haunted Tank now, like, is, like, unusable. Yeah, that's His whole that's deal fair. was he's, like, a weird confederate, you know, like... Okay, yeah, that's right. The concept of a ghost haunting a tank by itself, incredible. Right. But the fact right. that it's like Okay, yes, we could rework that. We could relaunch that. Do you think it you think we could relaunch a haunted tank? I do not think it's savable. I think I think we should have more haunted objects in comics. Yeah. I think there should more things should be haunted. I think the if haunted they can tank can be, why aren't they? <laughs> why aren't everything haunted? <laughs> Uh, this is this is a family friendly podcast, but there is another very famous instance of something being haunted in comics, but we cannot discuss it. It is very inappropriate. <laughs> oh, we we paused for a moment so I could explain to Christy a little bit about Tarot, the Witch of the Black Rose. We're not going to get into it here. Nope. If you can Google, Google. If you're above eighteen, Google it. Yeah, there you go. Who? Okay. <laughs> Maybe not everything needs to be haunted, though. Huh? Things. Inanimate objects should be haunted. Should be haunted. Everything should be haunted. All of them. Yes. Well, nothing is haunted in this, and the no. the losers are they're not unlike your your Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos sort of deal. Right. I, I think in in the MCU, Nick Fury was not a part of them. Mm-hmm. They well anyway. They're, they're just like a they're a squad of of soldiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, did they all die in this. Right. Mm-hmm. I was a little uncomfy at some points with. Just wondering how indigenous people might feel about uh, that 
main character from that segment. I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, uh, Johnny Cloud. Johnny Cloud. Yep. I, I, and I'm always wary of any indigenous representation no, that's, that's anywhere fair. because I feel like it's nearly always problematic. So I see it yeah, and I'm like, it's usually bad. Like, and in comics, it's it's like especially usually bad. Right. I think I've read too much Claremont recently, where like this felt so. Okay. In okay. comparison, I'm not saying I, that that's the case. Okay. It, so you don't have any particular knowledge. So that's just kind of like a thing that was on my no. radar that I'm like, mm, I don't, I don't know that and the fact that. But I, I mean, I wouldn't know. Right. But. Right. So reading this and in within the first couple of pages, maybe it was meant to kind of set the scene in the time period. But we, we had the use of a, a slur for a Japanese person mm. in the in the comic and i it didn't feel necessary it felt like set dressing and i don't think we need that kind of set dressing in comics yeah i yeah i could see that yeah the whole to to really like if i had to summarize dc the new frontier it is supposed to be a comic that bridges the golden age and the silver age Mm. because that for the most part that didn't really happen in real life okay superheroes were incredibly popular in the 40s Yes. They, for like the very early 50s, like the late 40s to, to mid 50s, they were not, except for like Batman and Superman. And I think Wonder Woman still mm-hmm. had a, but like Marvel or Marvel's predecessor, like their superhero line was really like not very popular. And superheroes only became popular again with like the debut of the Flash Green Lantern mm. in the late, in like the, the, kind of mid to late fifties, then leading into the Marvel age of the the early sixties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, this, it feels weird when they try to make a unified timeline. Cause like, where were all of these heroes for 10 years? Yeah. So in this, they try to tell you, well, it's because of, they thought they were all communists. Okay. So this, this whole thing is literally golden age leading into silver age. That is everything about it. So, this is another DC event attempting to fix a timeline. Nope. This takes place in a, this is not in continuity. Okay. This takes place in a completely separate thing. It is supposed to evoke continuity. And I feel like, I feel like that is its greatest strength and its greatest weak, weakness. Mm-hmm. DC loves hyping up the new frontier. They made it, there's a cartoon movie made of it. Okay. Now this whole thing was a brainchild of Darwin Cook, who is no longer with us, but he wrote and drew it, and this is this is a very good fit for his kind of unique art style. It seems to very much fit and evoke that time period. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this comic is. I think the art is great. I don't know if the story is particularly anything to write home about. Well, it's a, we have a series of vignettes that I can't like tell. Slowly move things forward. Yeah. So I can't tell if there is any sort of... There is a thematic through line, but I'm not sure if there's a plot through line in all of this there that is, we will get to more later. There is. It doesn't link everything, though. Johnny Cloud's story, if I recall correctly, is pretty done. I do think they go back to Dinosaur Island, though. Okay. I love that that Marvel has the Savage Land and DC has the very like aptly named Dinosaur Island. <laughs> it's just an island with dinosaurs on it. It is. Yeah. It is. So after Johnny Cloud's story, we kind of we we go into well, we have like a little interlude where we get young Hal Jordan, but mm-hmm. then we see Wonder Woman and Superman. 
Yeah, this is definitely, this is interesting to me because Wonder Woman during this era, during like the 40s, was still that like William Marston Wonder Woman. Like she didn't do the whole, she didn't do like, she didn't kill people. She was tied Mm -hmm. up a lot, you know, like she tied people up. The whole like loving bondage thing was still big. So this feels weird that she's like, like very murdery a little. I mean, she didn't do the murders, but I, no. I, I kind of, I, I'm not making a value judgment on like, should these women have killed their captors or not? It just, it is interesting that this, this version of Wonder Woman doesn't a hundred percent mesh with the historical Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, I kind of don't like the way that Superman meshed either in that, like he signed the whole like America pledge. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that kind of bores me. I'm like, eh, okay, that's like that feels safe to me. I like that Wonder Woman seemed, though she was like she she signed the same pledge. She she seemed disillusioned mm-hmm. with America, and she kind of sarcastically throws about the American way um, is murdering people, right? And while it's not maybe a faithful depiction for her, it's incredibly interesting for me mm-hmm. to see and it it's a depth and interest to the character and it's it's nice to see a woman depicted that way mm-hmm. normally women have to be nice and good or they're totally bad and i just i just like my women in shades of shades of gray there mm-hmm. doesn't have to be 50 <laughs> it just has to be the 50s <laughs> Hey. It is it, Superman it, it just loses a bunch in what we've read. He gets like beaten up by Batman. He's like Wonder Woman, you did a bad wrong and she's like gives him the middle finger. It's it's it is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the first thing we see of Superman in this story is this like newspaper clipping where he's beaten up by Batman. Right. As opposed to him actually like doing something triumphant. There's no like there's no introduction to Superman or like a flashback to the 30s when he started of like a, whoa, this guy, what a big whatever out of nowhere. Wonder Woman doesn't get that either. We are just supposed to already know them. Right, right. But that's a lot of this comic. As I was, I, I kind of lost that train a little bit earlier. DC loves to like put this forth as like, oh, this is like one of the, like a, a sampling of what you should try for DC. I think it is a terrible first comic. Because oh. it relies on you, like, knowing all these characters. Right, because we don't see most of them in their costumes. We see Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman in their costumes. And the Flash. And the Flash. And the the whole thing with the Flash is when the, the, the building gets struck by lightning, it's very much like a nudge-nudge. So if you don't know that Barry Allen is... Uh, I mean, most people now probably know that, right? The Flash right. has really entered public consciousness by 2021. But, you know, if you really don't know it, you're just like, okay. Yeah, I mean... I think of all of the characters that we see in costume in this Flash is the most emblematic of who we know Flash to be. Yeah, he does kind of exactly what the Flash did in in like the Silver Age comics. He right. like his girlfriend gets grabbed or something. Mm-hmm. He shows up, does something cool and is speedy but like has to figure something out because he's like he's our analytical hero. Mm-hmm. Pun- punches the bad guy issue over it was like we got an issue of the flash in the middle of this mm-hmm. but like as you you know superman seems really like kind of like a lapdog kind of impotent in this 
mm-hmm. Wonder Woman is a little is is quite a bit different in a way that that you enjoyed. Batman is like creeping everybody out. <laughs> like Batman shows up to things and like you know like the little kid was scared of him, right? And like the de- detective Slam Bradley like called him like a weirdo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, John Johns mm-hmm. in. I didn't recognize him in his alien form until he started like transforming i didn't understand who that was supposed to be i was like oh he's an alien who changes shape oh oh i get it yeah that's supposed to be i think like what they look like normally and even when he shapes and we even like when he becomes like green and Mm -hmm. very humanoid that's still supposed to be like a bit of an act wow okay to make him like to make him uh, a little bit more in, in like comfortable for people. But I I really enjoyed Detective Jones or what what did they? Det- He's John Jones. John Jones, yeah, Detective Jones. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I thought thought that was a lot of fun. That was that was something they did uh, for his character when he was Martian Manhunter. But again, that's something where like you just kind of have to know. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. so that is actually something. Him being a detective named John Jones. Yes, I didn't even know that. To be fair, Christy, like there's not that many you know, Martian Manhunter single runs. So if you don't know, you don't know. Right. Okay. Okay. You did remember his, uh, his weakness was fire, right? I figured it out. I made that guess. I was like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, there's a fire. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, 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 that's gotta be it. Like, I I don't know the specifics of of why. His weakness is just fire. Sure. DC loved giving everybody a weakness for a while. I think the Flash somehow didn't get one. But, like, <laughs> Green Lantern couldn't do stuff on things that were yellow. Superman's got kryptonite. Right. If Wonder Woman's tied up, her powers go away. Batman has gravity. <laughs> Batman has the fact that if you, like, shoot him with a gun, he's not bulletproof. But, yeah, and then the Mar- Martian Manhunter is fire. Mm-hmm. I was surprised how much of this seemed to center around... A boxing match, right? With Ted Ted Grant, who is the who who is a member of the JSA in like normal comics mm-hmm. as, as Wildcat, right? Who is fairly ordinary powers wise. I think he actually has nine lives or something. But otherwise, well, I don't know. We re- read his death in something. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Crisis. Yeah, I think no. His back. Be- he, he, I don't think he died. He was just like he was real close, and and then a lady Gosh, had to pick up wi- the Wildcat mantle, yeah. and there was a whole drama about it. Where. Did he, did he die in Zero Hour? Gosh, I don't even remember. I think maybe. Because like everybody died in Zero Hour, yeah. right? All the JSA got like super aged and they're like all having heart attacks. <laughs> and literally like everybody like at once has a heart attack. And it's, it's like slightly embarrassing. Hmm. So yeah, we had like this. I, it was such a fun feeling, just like a, a Vegas boxing match. like With, Against Cassius Clay. And of course, like he, he has to beat Cassius Clay. I rolled my eyes a little bit at that. (laughs) (laughs) We got to make a boxer who's better than the best boxer ever. So we'll just have him beat him. Uh, It it was kind of fun. It is. I I liked that we got, it was kind of fun to get some of the the cameos and be like, oh, I know who this person is. I know who this person is. But like, if I didn't already know, like, it would be meaningless to me. I almost wonder if this comic should have gone like heavier on the 50s stuff and we could have gotten like people hanging out with like 50 starlets and stuff. Oh. I think I I personally would have enjoyed that. (laughs) So who, who would you most have wanted to see? 
Wouldn't it be cool if Jane Mansfield was in? Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. She's 50s, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think Jane Mansfield would have been fun. She would have been fun. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, well, James Dean, he's a little bit more 60s, mm-hmm, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, all of this is supposed to be kind of leading into the Kennedy era. Okay, yeah. And yeah. It definitely feels that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of weird reading, what if superheroes, but instead of, like, superheroes that we're, that we like, they're just kind of rich socialites? Well, that specifically was all the rich socialite superheroes. And I think I don't like being reminded that that's who they are. Because it was Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. who's Batman. Uh, Oliver Queen, who is Green mm-hmm. Arrow, who his whole deal is he's rich. He's liberal. He's literally liberal Batman. Right. And then, like, I, I forget how Hal and, and Kyle got there. They're not rich. Right. But they're, they're Selena Kyle is there. Yes. And because Selena Kyle is dating. Is dating Ted Grant. Is which that is the, that an... That's a, I don't okay. She's she's a Batman character, right? And those things used to be very separate. They're just like cat cat. Yeah, <laughs> they're literally just making a cat joke. Yeah. They Darwin Cook is making a cat joke. Darwin, this is this is a very you can't really say any comic is an auteur comic unless mm-hmm. they literally do everything. But I mean, he he draws and writes it. The colors are somebody else, and I think the colors. Dave Stewart does a beautiful job. Mm-hmm. We've this is not our first Dave Stewart. We've always liked his mm-hmm. his colors. Isn't Lois Lane there too? Lois Lane is is maybe dating Bruce Wayne or like is involved with him, which is a thing that occasionally happens in comics. Yeah, yeah. Like we we saw them flirting in that that first crossover. Did we? Well, Lois Lois was flirting with Batman to get oh, to you Superman. mean the very first? Yeah, the, that's true. Their very first crossover. Yep. Yeah, seed was planted early on. It was. I liked that Huack didn't like superheroes. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It does make sense. It's interesting that they think of them as communists, though. But it's, I think it's because their their whole, like, the the theoretical approach of superheroes, and I think a lot of people would say, oh, no, they're the complete opposite side. But I think a lot of it is supposed to be, like, the the power of, like, someone who stands up for the common man. Right. As opposed to, like, defending, like, the status quo. Right. Granted, a lot of times... Uh, and especially in the Silver Age, they really started defending the status quo. <laughs> well, in com- well, at least in Batman comics, so often you see that the police is a corrupt force. They're easily bought. You and do, sold. but he does. He always he also like all, no one works with the police quite as much as Batman, right? But, but then a with- lot of them are very corrupt, right? Yeah, right. So that idea that that superheroes are this uncorruptible good, whereas the mm-hmm. powers in place are corrupt. And I, I, there's a lot of like early Superman that, that is that way, mm-hmm. but it's, I think a lot of early Batman was very much just trying to be like, let's solve a crime. But I think that's, that was the, supposed to be the deal with the JSA is, Oh, or they're not, they're not under the purview of the the government. Again, it would have been very cool to see more HUAC stuff, especially with like, you the the I think a lot of the high profile stuff was like with Hollywood writers and mm. your your Dalton Trumbos. I like that you enjoyed that and wanted more of that. I don't know that I felt like I did. I don't know. Mm. I I just feel like it's such a common plot device for stories told in that era. That's and maybe true. that's just me really liking the movie Clue a whole <sighs> lot. 
Yeah. Well, but we, it's in other things. We, we all love Clue. We, Clue is a treasure. It's wonderful. I think I wanted some more of this rooted in real events as opposed to a lot of... It, it felt like it used a lot of set dressing for... And that's probably nitpicking. It's just how, how I kind of felt about it. Because mm. a lot of the superhero stuff to me, like, was fine. Like, the Flash having to go and do the Captain Cold thing was like a... a con- condensed little flash issue and it was like perfect and that does kind of make sense because that's supposed to be the the flash is the beginning of the silver age so he he wanted in this ish like at one point to begin the silver age and so he Mm -hmm. did it by putting a silver age comic in the middle of this story yeah and i think that's kind of brilliant i I think i would have liked a little bit more a little bit more real events but uh, you know some of the real event stuff i don't love so i don't know right i I feel you there. Do you, if this is going to lean into placing things within Mm -hmm. our actual history, like, do you want it to lean hard into that or do you want it to stay comic booky? Yeah. Whereas for me, I think, I think I'm fine with the comic booky and I don't need quite as much of like the, oh, look. Look, you know this because you're smart. Oh, like, what we're wow, doing wow. In history. You are, you are really dragging me today. <laughs> listen, listen. Just less things that require prior knowledge sounds great to me. See, but I still am complaining about the things that require prior knowledge of comic books. Right. There's already so much of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you if you're going to do that with history, this might as well just be a different comic. I suppose that's true. Why even have those characters? I've heard some people... C- Compare this slightly to Watchmen, which I feel like everybody compares everything to Watchmen. But Watchmen is very much a this is a, this takes place in a historical. Did era. you trick me into reading? No, this Watchmen. is very different. <laughs> <laughs> I did not trick you into reading Watchmen. But Watchmen does have a like from the forties to now mm-hmm. sort of thing about it. This one just only stops. It does not get much further than I think like sixty, like early sixties. I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil right. the rest of the comic for you there. Right. I, it's just so interesting to me to be two triple-sized issues into this event and really have no idea at all where it's going. Well, we've got the threads we've got. Like, is the Flash going to show back up? Hard to tell. There's not really anything leading there. Right. Um, Hal, there's going to be more with Hal. That seems pretty evident. Right, because we've seen Hal young. We've seen Hal a little bit older. We've seen him go through, like, trauma. Yeah. Like. Clearly, Hal's going to be sort of a through character here. That's a choice. <laughs> it is. It is. Although they really want you to like Hal Jordan in this. Right. Well, like the first time you see him, he's, he's just this he's dopey-eyed lo- kid. Yeah. They, they just really want you to like Hal. Right. Just so, so that that's a, that's a thing that's yeah. happening that I have to look forward to. And the thing that with the center, the cult, that feels like it's going to come up again. Yeah. I love that they called the uh, the cult the center, which makes it it sounds like a mall a little bit. <laughs> Sacrificing the children to the center, yeah, for discounts. <laughs> discounts. <laughs> or like you know how in in where where I'm from there is a, a wedding venue just called the venue. Yeah, it sounds sounds a little bit like that. A little bit like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I am interested to see where where this will wind up. But do you think we're ready to head on into our accolades for these two? Sure. Issues? Accolades.
All right, Christy, what's your best line? My best line goes to Detective Jones. Mm-hmm. And Detective Jones says, Blast a slam-, slam, what kind of world is this? Blazes, I realize that my fellow cops are all on the take, but this is a child's life. <laughs> and I love that Slam's like, he literally just talks like a Dick Tracy short or something, or like he talks like a detective show. It's because he learned and- how to talk from detective shows. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is really good. I just enjoyed that bit quite a bit. What is your best line? So my best line is tragic, where it's Hal Jordan saying, it's over, make war no more. When he was, he remembered mm. it too late. Right. Because it was poignant. Yeah. It's weird because Hal... Hal doesn't seem to actually like fighting. He just really likes flying in this. Right. And so, like, he, that whole scene where he has to, like, eject out, and then, like, the other guy's like, well, time to crash a plane and also right. ejects out. Very cool. It was just, it was kind of sad. Like, it's weird. It's weird feeling bad for Hal Jordan. And right. Why do we have to feel things for Hal Jordan? Maybe Darwin Gross. Cook really liked Hal Jordan. Gross. <laughs> What about your greatest hero? Mine's the Flash because he literally just gets to do cool heroic stuff. We've got a daily double here. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. So mine, yes, also the Flash. The where's the sixth bomb? Oh, he just told me about the sixth bomb so he could get away. I was like, (laughs) that's the stuff. It was it was a nice, tight little story there. And he got to be all sorts of heroic. Yeah. It's interesting to me that these these are triple-sized issues, and mm-hmm. we literally get three issues. They divide it into chapters. Right. I think I, that's kind of a fun way to do it. Mm-hmm. What did, I, did, I was not picking this up as it came out. I think maybe it came out slightly before I read comics, but I think it would have been fun to probably get the, the like big, chunky issues as they were coming out. One of these days, we'll cover Wednesday comics, and I can show you all about Wednesday comics, which is my favorite weird little gimmick. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Uh, I'm also excited to share with you my coolest moment. What's your coolest moment? My coolest moment is when Cloud mm-hmm. jumps into the T-Rex's mouth and you get the behind him. You see the pins from the grenades. Like It's just a cool, very coolly framed panel uh, and just neat. Darwin Cook, pretty good at cartooning. Like, right. Hard to argue with that. His layouts are really great. There's some pages that have like very, very scant dialogue, mm-hmm. but it's like, it just flows. I feel like that, like, I would love a version of this that was like super blown up pictures, which does exist. The absolute edition, which is like way bigger than normal. Oh my God. That would be so cool. <laughs> what about your coolest moment? My coolest moment is the Superman Batman fight that's in the in the paper. Mm-hmm. I, I like the sepia tones and just like the like dynamic motions that they make. Oh yeah, it felt kind of Kirby esque to me. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, I can get behind that. Okay, what about your Crusher Creel award for silly villainy? There is no villain that is quite of his time, and I feel like has aged so silly, so much, like in in such a silly way as Captain Cold. Uh huh. Yes. His whole deal of like a guy with little with little sunglasses and like in like a full like polar outfit mm-hmm. with his little like fifty style like ray gun of cold. His whole deal is ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can call this a daily double because mine also goes to Captain Cold, but specifically to his cold bombs that when they detonate just made it 
made it snow. Like, I'm sure it would have been real bad if it would have been, like, down on the streets. Right. But just, like, I have a cryogenic bombs. And I'm like, ooh, cryogenic bombs. Oh, they're just real cold. <laughs> they're just, they're just I've cold. got cold bombs. Some guy, like, puts a Coke next to one <laughs> just to, like, when it goes off, it'll, like, chill off his, his Coca-Cola. <laughs> All right. Our next accolade. One of my favorites. Mm. The Key of C which we give to a moment we feel would be enhanced by a musical number. That's right. Mine is uh, John Jones learning learning about America through television. I thought that would have been a very... Imagine if oh. he learned it instead by various homages to musical numbers. Ooh, I like that. That's a lot of fun. That is a lot of fun. Mine, I wanted like a... Uh, Gaston style number, but with Wonder Woman, because we have this, we have this page of her standing on the table, like holding a glass. And I just kept thinking, no one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'd be fun. Just, it would be kind of a dark version of that, given the subject. Kind of, kind of a dark, satirical, like almost uncomfy in the pleasantness with which they sing it Mm -hmm. just kind of fun yeah and dark and dark fun and dark (laughs) fun and dark so down with the ship christy i've got a controversial one okay down with the ship is of course the accolade where we where we ship people it could be friendship Mm -hmm. this is not friendship Mm -hmm. i ship wonder woman and superman and i know that that is controversial in most things but i love it in this instance because superman is all like and she's like I don't care about your stupid deal. And I think that's great. Okay. So you're shipping this dynamic of their French relationship. It just seems like this could be an enemies to lovers at any point or rivals to lovers. I don't, you don't, you don't see it. I don't, I I don't know. I don't know. I like it when I like the dynamic of guy who is too into rules and lady who is mean to him. (laughs) That's good stuff. (laughs) Okay. This is becoming more clear. (laughs) Uh, I liked Selena Kyle and Ted. I can't remember his last name. Wildcat. Oh, did you like the the panel where she gives him a kiss on the cheek and he says, hubba hubba? (laughs) I did. That is the panel I have. He He looks all beat up. He's this cat's king. Mm. And she leans in to give him a kiss and he goes, hubba hubba. And I'm just like, I love that energy from couples. I love when couples are so into each other. Yeah, that is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) People are definitely going to get I would never ship Wonder Woman and Superman in main continuity. I hate it. I don't even like it in most other things. I didn't like it in Kingdom Come. I don't know why I like it here. I don't know. All right. What's the goodest hit? Which is the the best the best punch or, or hit or whatever? It's when Wildcat punches Cassius Clay. Yeah, it is. It's the fi- It's the big Wildcat. It is. It's such it a big dynamic too. panel. Yeah, it is. All right. There's hit actually it. not. Sorry. There's actually not that much punching in this. <laughs> All right. So we got a daily double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. But yes, you are right. There is not much punching in this. Like I don't think the Flash even punches too many people. Well, no, the, the, he just goes he, fast. He, he nearly punches Captain Cold, but Captain Cold says, stop. I've got and bombs. And then he does. Yeah. He, he does, does stop. He does stop. <laughs> yeah. But no, the panel of the knockout is very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Even though, like, I roll my eyes at Ted Grant fighting Cassius <laughs> a little bit. All right. Well, thank you, readers, for joining us for this first of three episodes covering New Frontier. It's true. If you want to find us online, you can find us at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And for longer form messages, you can email us at chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, just share the podcast with your friends. But if you want to go a little above and beyond, we have a Ko-fi and a Patreon page. Links are going to be in the show notes. That Patreon is, if you uh, donate to it, is going to get you a lot of cool stuff at various levels of support. Mm-hmm. And... If you also want to support us non-monetarily, you can go rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and can rate them. But if we see it there on iTunes, one of those five-star reviews, we will read it out on the show. Mm-hmm. And until next time, readers. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. 